Each one of us sitting in this room today is at one point in our life in the position of the younger brother. The lyrics to that song, Lord, bust me up every time as I think about how you love us for who we are. The broken, messed up things that we are, God, you love us. In spite of our failures, you still sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, giving us yet another chance. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you, God, that you truly love us. Enough sometimes even to take your hands off of us, God. And so be with us now as we're about to hear a hard message to hear. I pray that you would give us the ears to hear exactly what you need for each one of us to individually hear. And so we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just want to take a moment before we get started. As a public speaker, one of the things that just is, it gets me in the soul of uncomfortable is is cell phones. And, And when you're in the middle of speaking, they go off and they ring. And so for a public speaker, most of us always say, take your cell phones and please turn them off. But today we're actually going to ask you to take your cell phone out and turn it on. Um, because what we've done is, if you've ever noticed, Pastor Barry always has his little, his little iPad around and he's taking notes. He's real vigorously, there it is right there. He's constantly taking notes and, 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 and doing stuff. And so we've recognized that we live in a culture now where people have their Bibles on their phones, they have their Bibles on their, these little iPads and things like that. So we made a Christchurch app. Our tech guys put a lot of work into this. And what it is, it's an app that will allow you the opportunity to participate in the sermons from time to time. Last week, uh, we actually did a, a poll. We asked the question, who do you think the story of the lost son is really about? And in and, and Wilson Hall, people actually interacted, and by the end of the service, we were able to give a result. Um, we have our sermon notes in there. If you've missed a week or you're traveling, you can pull up the Christ Church app and actually listen to past sermons. And also in the app, we have sermon notes. So if you want to follow along with what we're talking about in the sermon, scriptures, and things like that, you can find those in the app. But also, let's say it's a Friday afternoon and you want to see what we're preaching about in the coming Sunday. Maybe you want to read the passage or get ahead of the game. It'll be available to you as we get those things done pretty early in the week. So I want to encourage you to join us this morning uh, with your Christ Church app. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. In case you didn't know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Prodigal God. Uh, we really brought the concept from a book that, that was written by Tim Keller titled that, Prodigal God. And it's, and it's a tremendous story about us as believers as Jesus taught in the story of the lost son. And as many of us know, we've always heard the story of the lost son teach and taught. And when, when, it's, when it's taught, we, we oftentimes think of the lost son, the one who sinned and went over and messed everything up and extravagantly went and ruined his life and how awesome it was that the father actually came back and, 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 and accepted the son. And, and, and the reality of it is, is the story is really not about either of those two. Because the story of the prodigal, uh, the lost son, is actually talking about the self-righteous elder son. And we're going to get there in a couple of weeks. But this morning, uh, we are going to talk about the lost son. And this is why Jesus is amazing. Because you remember the people around Jesus in this moment, who they were. They were the tax collectors, the sinners. They're in one little category. And then you had the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. They're in another category. But the reality of it is, is the teachers of the law and the sinners are both a groups of people who are alienating themselves from God. 
And so we're going to cover that. We're going to talk about that. And, and so it's important to remember who Jesus is talking to. And I love Jesus because while talking to the sinners and the tax collectors, he can talk to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, preaching one word out of his mouth, but two totally different messages. And as you'll find out over the next several weeks, seven <laughs> different messages. But before we start, I want to challenge you with a story. If you would like to follow along in your Bible or your service sheet uh, or on your app, we're going to be in Luke 15, 11 through 16 this morning. What I'm about to say is not fun. We all love our cleaned up, tidy, neat God, don't we? We like the, 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 the nice smelling God. We like the, the wrathless, just graceful and merciful God. But the reality of it is, is God is light. God is perfect. And God has an enemy. And that enemy is sin. And because God is righteousness, God is truth, God is life, sin and God cannot exist together. There's a war going on. And so as sinners, that creates a problem for us, doesn't it? (laughs) Because when we're living in sin, we're living at war with God. Now, God always desires to set us free from that. But we're silly people, and we don't always give in, do we? A professor of mine in school, his name was Rich Grassle. I talk about him a lot. He, he shared this story with us talking about this concept. He said there, there was a story that he had heard about a man who was driving up a, a, a windy mountain road, and you could actually, from the top of the, the road, you could actually look down and see the bottom of the road, and it wound up this steep mountain. And at the very top of the mountain, uh, there was this majestic bridge that went over to the other side, but you could look over the side of the bridge, and there was just this thousands of feet drop off. It just, it's just tremendous. And he said this man was driving up the road one day. It was, it was late at night, and it was, it was getting cloudy. It was getting dark. And the further up the mountain the man drove, the foggier it got. And he doesn't know what it was, but there was something in his soul. Did you ever have one of those moments where you just felt like you knew you should stop, or you felt like you knew this wasn't right, or or maybe somebody was teaching something and you go, that just doesn't sound right to me. And for some reason you had a check in your heart, and it ended up being right. Well, this man in this moment, he he doesn't know why, but he felt compelled to stop. He he could no longer see the road in front of him because the fog had, had gotten so much around him and it was late at night and the lights were blinding him. And he just felt compelled to stop his car. And he and he, when he when he got to where the bridge was, he stopped before he could see the bridge. He looked out, he's like, I can't even see the road. So he got out of his car and he walked up to the bridge to realize that the bridge has in fact been destroyed and there is now nothing there but a cliff. He could see the abyss below him. And as he was kind of sitting there having a moment where he thought to himself, thank you God for protecting me because he wouldn't have been able to stop in time and, and, he's, and he's going through this flashing of life in his eyes and, or in his mind and all of a sudden he hears the squealing of tires coming from down below. And where he's sitting on the mountain, he can look down and he sees a car whipping around the corners, headlights. And and as the car gets closer, he can start to hear loud music and see arms flailing out of the side of the windows. And he comes to the realization that these people have no idea that the bridge is out. So he begins to sprint as fast as he's ever run down towards the car. 
as it's speeding up the hill, he can hear it, and as it gets closer and closer, he can hear laughter and screams and yells, and it sounds like a group of kids just out goofing around on a Friday night. And so as the car's headlights come around the corner to where he is, he starts throwing his arms around, and he's yelling at the top of his lungs, stop, stop, the bridge is out, stop, the bridge is out, and the car begins to slow down. And excited, thinking that he, he, he prevented a crisis, the car slows down just enough for a, for a young person in the back seat to take a pile of garbage and hit him in the face with it. And they began to laugh, and they sped up the mountain. The man describes the story as the next thing he heard was the screams of those kids plummeting to their death. And I wish I had a happy ending for you for that story but there isn't one and some of you as as parents and and people who have loved ones who who are in this current state in their life you know what I'm talking about right now because sometimes as parents and as loved ones we see loved ones they're driving out of control they're recklessly just doing their thing they're having a good time they don't realize the consequences of rejecting an obedience of the messenger of God and, and, and we see these loved ones speeding off a cliff and here we are as parents as, as loved ones yelling and screaming waving our eyes arms stop, 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 stop The reality of it is, is sin is gross. Rejection of God is evil. And the only result that comes out of it is death. I want to tell you this morning, church, when we sin, it comes at an extreme price. When we sin, we are enemies of God. This isn't a fun message to teach. (laughs) But your sins have consequence and they burden God. Jesus is teaching this parable today because he's teaching a bunch of lost people. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke 15 with me. And this is what it says. Well, let me start by saying this. I want you to remember in this culture, in this time, the father was a very significant role. The father was a very significant person in the community, in the family, and the father was revered. And so the parable that we're about to read from Jesus is a parable that would have been received in a very awkward way to the original listeners. Whether they were tax collectors, sinners, or the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, they would all have received this in a very awkward way. Because what Jesus is about to speak and say about this younger son is something that just wouldn't happen. And if it did, there would be consequences. And so if you have your Bible, Jesus continues to teach the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and and, and the lost people. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Now, for you and I, when we hear that, I want you to imagine that your children come to you and say, I would really like you to give me my inheritance now. Now, as a parent, you may actually take offense to that. You may actually think, you had some nerve. 
But in every commentary I read, the reaction that would have been from, from somebody back then would have been what they call the boxing of the ears. A boot to the hind end. How dare you come to your father and ask him for his inheritance while he is still alive? See, the father would divide up his, his land because that's really what it came down to. Back then, they didn't have just massive bank accounts with, with all their, their, their resources in there. In this culture, what it came down to is how much land you owned. Your land was your identity. Your last name was usually your land. The, the Greek word that is used here in describing this is, is bios, which is the same word used for life. And so this property that belonged to the family was a big deal. And so the father would sell off, his, or the, the father would divvy up the property, and he would give two-thirds to his oldest son, and the rest would be split amongst the rest of the children. And in this case, we have two sons, so that's a third that the father's being asked to sell off for this younger son to have his inheritance. Now, for the younger son to come and to ask this question, our response is like, oh, that's not right. But the response back in the day would have been met with swift judgment. The community would have looked down upon the son. The community would have rejected the son. The family would reject the son. The father would reject the son. But that's not what happens in this story. That's not what happens in this story. Because the father knows that if he continues to fight his son on this issue, he's just going to push him further away and further away. And so the father comes to the point where he just divides his property between them and he gives the younger son his inheritance. Now for the father to do this, it means he has to sell off part of who he is. He's still alive. And so when the younger son comes and makes the statement, Dad, I want you to give me what's mine, he's making a very uh, hateful statement towards his father. What he's actually saying to his father is, I don't love you. I want nothing to do with you. I, I just want your stuff. I want you to give me your stuff, and I want to separate all ties from this family. What he's actually saying to his father here is, I wish you were dead. And I think some of us as parents maybe have had some moments like that in our lives where we've, we've interacted with our loved ones in that way, and it's broken our heart. And usually our immediate response is the boxing of the ears or, or how dare you when we get in their face. But again, this father doesn't respond this way because he sees his lost son as continually being rebellious, rebellious. And with no regard to the family, the son wishes his father was dead and says, I want nothing to do with you. So the father, clinging to the hope that maybe one day his son will come to his senses, gives up on the war it gives in and takes his hand off of his son. I want you to think about something for a minute, church. And what I'm about to say to you and what I'm about to read to you is not nice. And it's not popular. But it is biblical. That when we pursue our sinful desires when we pursue the kingdom of us, there will come a moment where God himself will take his hands off of us and give us over to our sinful desires. And, and that's such a gross concept to me because I want to see people come to know Jesus. 
But the reality of it is, is God will hand us over to sin if we reject him. Let me read to you from the book of Romans because this is such a, a, a grotesque reality that I want you to hear it from Scripture and not from me. We're not going to put it up on the screens because I really want you to listen to the words. If you have your app, you can write down that it's going to be Romans one twenty one through verse 32. And it says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for image of resembling mortal man and birds and animals and the creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteousness decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We live in a society and in a culture where we like to make excuses for our sin. We like to be soft on sin. But the reality of it is, church, that whether you're a terrorist dropping a nuclear bomb on 40 bajillion people or you're cheating on your math test, you are in obedience, disobedience to God. And you are in sin. And when we embrace our sin and we, and we don't repent from our sin and we, we don't heed the warnings from God, we fall in love with our sin. And the more we fall in love with our sin, the more dangerous this thing gets and the more danger that we're in to be lost to hell forever. We have a God in heaven who is kicking and screaming, waving his arms, sending his son Jesus, saying, stop! But we don't listen. And we keep pursuing the things that we think will bring us pleasure. But they only bring brokenness and loss. And just like the father who's standing there handing over all the money that he just sold off his property. He, he humiliated himself in the community by selling his land and by making a spectacle of the family. He hands that younger son his money and his inheritance. And the younger son leaves thinking he knows what he's doing. So there stands the father bearing the cost. Remember, we said the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant. 
But the other half of the definition is one who has spent all. And so the question I have for you in our story, in this moment, who is the prodigal? Who is the one who is spending everything? Because the consequence of this child's sin has cost the father so much. It's cost him status in the community, which is minimal, comparative. It's cost him financial gain, which is significant. But now it's cost him his son. And the father, realizing he can't win this battle, gives his son over to his sinful desires. And he hands him the check. And he bears the burden and the broken heart of a broken-hearted father with a lost son. So the son leaves. And the word of God tells us, Jesus tells us, that he went off. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in, that, uh, be in need. Listen to me, church. This was not a short story. When that son left, he left for a season. It was a long time. And some of you have had to let go of prodigal sons, and it seems like it's been a long time. Don't give up. Don't give up on hope. Because you see, the younger son came to a moment of need, and he got a job working in farms. And when he was working in these farms, he found himself feeding pigs and he remembers how good it was at his father's house and, and now he screwed up and he messed up and, 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 I, and I used to be able to eat from the sustenance of the father and now he's looking at the slop that he's putting in the pig dish and he's thinking, I would love to eat this. So instead of filling himself with the sustenance of the father, he's filling himself with trash and debris that is not even fit for pigs to eat. Because he desired what the pigs eat. So what he was getting was nothing. And so church, I ask you this question. What are you filling your life with? Are you filling your life with the sustenance of the Father? Or are you filling your life with the swill of the earth? I hope you're following me this morning. Because I want to say this. And I hope this convicts you as it has convicted me. It is not fair that God sent his baby boy to die on the cross because we wanted to go live wildly and recklessly. I want you to think about that for a minute. There's God, brokenhearted, standing there over you as you turn your back and reject him. And then there's God who sells everything he has, gives away everything he has, to see you come back to him. He gives his son Jesus Christ up to be sacrificed on the cross. And he stands there holding himself up with a broken heart, desiring only for you to come home. There's some weight to that. And when we sin and we reject God, in the littlest of things, we are breaking his heart. We are causing him to suffer. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. Just as maybe some of your children have grieved your spirit when they've rejected your love. 
What's amazing is, is usually when our love is rejected, we, we come back at it with defensiveness, don't we? But the Father that Jesus is talking about doesn't do that. He comes back in love. But there he stands, brokenhearted and rejected. I really want you to focus on that today as you go home. That your sin is expensive. I want you to go home with the fact that maybe there's some prodigals in your life that you have to let go of. Because in your attempts to hang on, you're only making things worse. And this is where I love the story. Because God, or the father in the story, he let go of his son, but he didn't give up on his son. He gave up on the son's sin, but he never gave up on the son because the way that this story ends, and and we're going to talk about this a lot in the coming weeks, but I can't leave you hanging in this place because there's hope. Because you see, when the son came to his senses, it doesn't say he fully repented yet because I'm going to tell you right now, when the prodigal son goes home, there's going to be a lot of issues that they have to work out. But he felt convicted and, he, and he, his mind started thinking of the scenario, here I am, I, I can go back to my dad and, and maybe if I give him a right speech or if I say the right thing, he'll let me just work for him. He'll let me be near the family. He knows in his heart culturally he will never be accepted back into the community as where he once was. He will never be accepted once again as a son, but he just wants to get close because the way he is right now is not acceptable. And so he comes up with this grand idea and he thinks to himself, I'll go home and I'll say, oh, Father, I am not, not worthy to come to your table. I'm not, gonna, I'm not this, I'm not that, and, and I'm evil and I'm sinful. I'm the worst thing on the face of the planet. And it's by your mercy and by your grace that you'll even let me work for you. And maybe if I do that, I can go home and, and maybe my dad will give me a job. And I can only imagine as that younger son is, is in his heart broken and upset and desiring to go home, but, but, but embarrassed to go home. And, and I'm sure he had to talk himself up before the journey. And, and as he's getting close to home, I promise you, he was going over that speech over and over and over in his head. Like a middle school boy trying to ask a girl out. <laughs> and I love this story because it goes on to say, that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Now, when we read that, we think, oh, the father saw him. No. The father saw him because the father was looking for him. The father was waiting with hope and expectation that maybe one day his son would return. And I love the way the Bible says it. It says he picked up his dress and he ran towards his son. And I know a lot of you know this already, but it's a cultural no-no for men of noble character to run in this society. But the father, already having spent everything, already have selling out his, his honor, his integrity, every, he gave it all away. He gave everything away. He says, you know what, I'm not going to start now being worried about my pride. And the father picks up his dress and he runs to that younger son. And I'm sure younger's out there thinking, oh great, here he comes, he's going to beat me down as soon as he gets here thinking he's going to be met with with hurtful words and a bunch of I told you so's. And when he gets there, when when the father and the son finally meet, there's younger in his mind, and he says, oh, dad, I'm not. No, he starts to say it verbally. He says, father, I'm not so mother worthy to sit at your table. And the father looks at him and says, shut up. You're my son. I love you. You're home. 
And he calls over a servant. He says, go order some pizza. Get a band. We're going to throw a party. And I want you to imagine the reaction of the lost son who thought for sure he was going to be met with, with I told you so's and hurtful words. He was prepared to give a speech to save his life. But here the father says, get his robe, get his ring. You're coming. You're going to sit at my side. You are my son. And the father reinstitutes him as if he had never left, not worrying about the money, not worrying about all the stuff that had to be fixed because let's be honest, there's a lot of problems that they're going to have to resolve together. But the father didn't stay there. The father rejoiced and said, my son is home. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you're living in disobedience to God, he is watching for you. There may come a moment in your life or your loved one's life where God himself takes his hands off and gives you over to your sinful desires. But I promise you this, he's sitting there waiting in anticipation for you to open the door, for you to appear on the horizon so that he can run to you and say, I love you, you're my child, come home. The consequences of sin is gross. But God's not fair. And God invites us to come home. God invites us to be a part of the family. God gives us an inheritance again. And so church, I just want to leave you with this question. What's the cost of your sin? Think about it. Why are you settling for the swill of this earth when you could be eating at the Father's table? Maybe some of you in this room need to let go of the sin that a loved one is engaged in and give up on fighting that sin and just start loving the person. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that sin is okay and that we should go easy on sin. I'm actually saying we should be hard on sin. But some of us have to let go because God's trying to do something. And sometimes, guys, it, it ends bad. Sometimes people drive off a cliff, if you hear what I'm saying. No matter how hard we wave, no matter how hard we scream, sometimes the story just doesn't end pretty. But thank God we have a God who says no matter what you've done, no matter how much you have sinned, no matter how lost you think you are, God says, I am always waiting for you. I always desire for my children to come home. Trust in the Lord. If you need to come home, come home. If you need to stop rebelling against God, stop rebelling. And if you need to let go and let God have something, do that. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for the words that you give us in John 3, where you tell us that you sent your son to die for us. And that if we confess him as our Lord and Savior, that we can come home. You didn't ask us to repay the debt by doing, you accepted us as the broken things that we are. 
and said, I will love you for you, not because of what you will become or what you have done. I simply love you for you. So God, convict our hearts, bless our hearts, and fill us now as we come to your table. May we leave some things at this table that we need to let go of. And help us to have the strength to keep watching for that one to come home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.